This morning, if you got your Bibles, let's turn back to Daniel chapter 6. We've been in the book of Daniel, steadfast in the chaos today, talking about prospering in the chaos. So as you are standing, we're going to look at, we're going to skip down. I know we're, we'll, we'll study the whole chapter today, but for the reading of the scriptures, let's begin with verse 25. It says, then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who lived on the whole earth. Remember, the Medo-Persian Empire had kind of taken over to this point, and they had networked, so networked the government systems that they could communicate with more people than ever before. And so he's speaking to people. He says, may your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, People must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. And now this king who has worshipped pagan deities, and to this point was still allowing uh, the worship of pagan deities and all kinds of weird religious practices to take place in this kingdom, is going to provide us with a hymn that is rich in biblical truth. Now, I say that to say, I, I hear a lot of times this morning we were singing some songs that were just right out of Scripture, the principles and precepts right out of Scripture. And sometimes people will say, hey, do you know who wrote that song? It came from a movement that we don't quite agree with, or the theology of that church doesn't match the theology of our church, and things like that. But uh, remember this, all truth is God's truth wherever it may be found. And so sometimes, uh, as one of my professors used to say, a blind squirrel finds a nut. And uh, so we try to evaluate everything. We don't sing songs that are not biblically true here. And so we we evaluate that. But that doesn't mean that the authors of some of them might not come from the same denomination or some religious background that they embrace some other things that we may not embrace. So we evaluate all that and we cling to what is good. And so here's Darius. He would have said a lot of things that we would disagree with, but this hymn, he got it right. Look at what it says. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lion. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, the reign of Cyrus the Persian as well. Father, we thank you that Daniel was able to remain prosperous even in the chaos. Lord, I pray that the principles and precepts of this scripture will be something that's evident in our lives so that we can, even in the chaos in which we find ourselves today, also remain prosperous. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Prospering in the chaos. How do we do that? You know, I'll tell you how we don't do that. Just If we spend all of our time whining and complaining and griping and fussing about all that's going on in the world, probably not going to prosper in the chaos when our mind is always on the chaos. I remember coaching nine and ten-year-olds in baseball when my son was about nine years old. And we were having one of those games where every nine and 10-year-old boy on the field on our team was out there whining and complaining and making excuses about something. And sometimes it had something to do with the umpiring. And I don't know if Pastor Jeff was our, the umpire of that game or not back then. Probably not. But they were complaining about the umpire. It's the umpire's fault and it was somebody else's fault. And this kid got in my way or I would have made that play. And I mean, it was just like, okay, this is getting old. And I wasn't one typically to just kind of yell at the boys all the time, but I just raised my voice and said, are y'all going to keep making excuses or start making plays? And then I thought, man, how many of our parents, how many adults needed to hear that? Are you going to make excuses 
Or are you going to do what God's called you to do? Are we going to make excuses why we can't prosper in the chaos? Or are we going to get in on what God has for us despite the chaos around us? Things are not going your way sometimes. Guess what? That's the world in which we live. We're swimming upstream. The narrow road, and we all know that we've been called to travel on a narrow road because wide is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to life. We just didn't realize that that narrow road was placed right in the middle of the interstate going against the traffic, right? It's kind of like that scene from the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. You know the one I'm talking about? Uh, For those of you who are movie buffs like me, especially back in the 80s, but where all of a sudden uh, Steve Martin, I believe it was, and John Candy find themselves going the wrong way on the interstate. Somebody tells them they're going the wrong way, and they say, how do they know where we're going, you know, right? And so we feel like we're going the wrong way because everybody's coming against us. Not home in heaven. You and I are here as representatives for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We're not there yet. We're not home. We are ambassadors in this life, so we should expect that this world's not going to embrace all the values that we come bringing and representing, even though we want to bring as much influence as Daniel did in this passage. You can still prosper. Now, don't get me wrong. That, that some, don't tune me out if you think I'm about to preach the prosperity, you know, name it, claim it, gab it, grab it, doubt it, do without it, health, wealth, gospel this morning. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Psalm 1 prosperity. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the, uh, stand in the path of the sinner. He does not sit in the seat of the mocker. His delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, his word, right? He meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. What does that tree do? It brings forth its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever it does prospers. What is biblical prosperity? It is finding your place in God's calling on your life, being steadfast in that place, in the chaos, allowing the Spirit of God and the Word of God to flow through you and bring about the influence and impact in the world You could be a missionary living in poverty in the underground church in China, and that be biblical prosperity because you're getting in on what God had for you, and there's no greater joy than getting in on the impact that God wants you to have on the world, in the world in which he has placed you. And so, you know this story of Daniel, right? You you know Daniel in the lion's den. But have you ever thought about all that takes place other than God protecting Daniel from the lions? Now, that's the truth. It's a miracle that God provides us in the Scripture, but what surrounds all of this? Have you thought about that? We want to look this morning at Daniel's integrity and Daniel's influence. First of all, Daniel was a man of integrity. Daniel was a man of integrity. He's older now. But he had stayed with the stuff. That Daniel who was a teenager, all the way back in Daniel chapter 1 when he said, hey, we're not going to defile ourselves with the king's ways, right? We're going to do what God would have us do, and he used wisdom and discernment. He was as shrewd as a serpent and as harmless as a dove, and he was able to influence King Nebuchadnezzar and the ones who were placed over him to allow him to live according to the standards of God. But he was going to take the consequences come what may. He was going to be a man of integrity. And now in Daniel chapter 6, he continues to display his integrity. By the way, integrity is simply this, being who you claim to be. 
being in the dark, or being in the light, who you are in the dark, being in the dark, who you say you are in the light, in public or in private, comes from that word integer, which those of you who are mathematicians know an integer is a whole number, right? It means to be whole and complete and undivided. You're not double-minded. You're not unstable. Integrity is something that we see in this text in a secular environment. Daniel maintained his integrity in a secular environment. Now, when I say secular, I don't mean totally absent of religious and, 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 and completely material. I mean that he was in an environment where they rejected at least the faith in the true and living God, except for him and his friends that he had influenced to this point. And so begin in verse 1 with me, and let's kind of look at how he had maintained this integrity in this environment. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed them throughout the realm. Remember, we had said when we looked at the image of the beast that this Medo-Persian empire would become one of the most uh, networked, long before there was an internet, right? One of the most networked where government had its hands on everything in society like never before. And so over them, there were three administrators, including Daniel. He was one of the administrators. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and the satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. I believe the spirit of the living God was so present in Daniel's life that he rose to even a greater place of influence. The king planned to set him over the whole realm. So, Daniel, you're going to kind of be the prime minister in my kingdom. The administrators and the satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. Listen, when God puts you in a place of influence, there are going to be people who do not like the influence that you have, especially if it is godly kingdom influence. And so expect that. Expect people to come against you. They could find no charge or corruption against Daniel, right? For he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Even in a secular work environment, they couldn't find anything to accuse him of. He had been faithful in the big things and in the little things he was a man who would show up for work on time and, done what, and do what was asked of him. He had done what was asked of him again and again and again. And so these men said, we will never find a charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. They knew that Daniel was a man of the word of God and he was going to live by that word and the only way he would ever be found guilty of anything as if the laws of God happened to contradict the laws of man. So the administrators, the satraps, went together to the king and said to him, may King Darius live forever. Now this is flattery here. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, and governors, listen, the, the entire cabinet, the house, and the senate, everybody showed up. They have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. You see, they're pressuring Darius here. They're saying, you've got to sign it. You've got to do this. You notice how many other people here are kind of pulling the strings of the one in charge. Let that sink in for a little bit. You've got to enforce that. 
For 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as the law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and it cannot be changed because the Constitution, the law of the land here, what you put into place is going to be of greater authority than even you yourself. So King Darius... Parenthetically, if you want to read between the lines here, he forgot about Daniel for a moment. He forgot about Daniel for a moment. Sometimes people in places of authority over you might make a decision and forget to think about you. That's what happened to Daniel. So King Darius signed the written edict. Daniel made his integrity, he maintained his integrity in a secular environment, in a world. And listen, there's no doubt about it today. We live in a secular world. Well, America's a Christian nation, really? About 80% of Americans claim some affiliation with the Christian faith, but one-third of them will be connected with the church. About 15% of them will actually be in a place of worship today. We're a Christian nation. Many are referring to it as a post-Christian environment. Our tax dollars every day go to support things that are very much against everything we believe in. As Christians, we're a Christian nation, secular environment, but we still have no excuse not to maintain our integrity. Listen, he also maintained his integrity in his spiritual convictions, his spiritual convictions. What did they know about Daniel? They knew that if you're going to trip Daniel up, it has to be in an area where the laws of man contradict the laws of God because Daniel is going to be faithful to the laws of his God. Look at verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house, the windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, And three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God. Pause a minute before you read that last phrase, because sometimes we will think, okay, here's what we're going to do. The government's telling us we can't do this. We're going to put it in their face. I mean, we're just going to dare them to step in and do something about who we are. And for some people that, that love to shout God and country... In the good old USA, they will do something finally that they should have been doing all along, but it's not integrity because it's never been a consistent part of their life. I remember almost 20 years ago, people were getting upset about the Ten Commandments, not being in the schools and in the courthouses and all that, and I believe they should be. But you started asking them, where are the Ten Commandments in your house? How often do you read the Bible in your house? Well, they're not anywhere, and we don't read the Bible in my house. Integrity is, hey, we're just being the same we've always been. How do we know that about Daniel? Because it goes on to say, just as he had done before. Why was he already doing this? Why did they know that this was what he was already about? Because he was a man of prayer and a man of the word. If you go back and you see that just before the captivity, one of the wonderful things that had happened in Jerusalem and in in Judea is that they had compiled the books of First and Second Kings. And you had all of these writings being presented, these scrolls being read again and again to the faithful Jewish people like Daniel and his friends would have grown up hearing these words. And Solomon was praying as they would dedicate the temple 
Hundreds of years earlier, this had been recorded and, and now was compiled and being read to these Hebrew children before they were placed into exile. First Kings chapter 8, in the middle of that chapter, about verses 33, 34, 35, 36, you see that there's this, I guess, hypothetical. But Solomon knew that it could probably happen. He said, listen, we're going to pray and we're going to seek the Lord. We're going to meet in Jerusalem and pray and seek his face. But if, perhaps, we're ever disobedient and God allows us to be taken captive into a foreign land, then we need to be praying toward Jerusalem. Why praying toward Jerusalem? Remember Psalm 121? I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and the earth. It's one of those psalms of ascent. As they made their way to Jerusalem, it was the place where the temple was. It was the place where the Shekinah glory of God manifests itself. It's the place where sacrifices were made on the day of atonement for the sins. And all of the hills along the Palestinian countryside had some kind of altar to pagan gods, it seemed. And so as you made your way to Jerusalem and you were singing those psalms of ascent, you were reminded in Psalm 121, yeah, I look at all the hills and, and there are pagan gods represented. Where am I going to lift my eyes? I'm looking to Mount Zion. I'm looking to the one true and the living God. That's where my help comes from. My help comes from Yahweh. My help comes from the Lord. And so Daniel had been faithful to say, I'm praying toward Jerusalem just as a reminder that I'm praying toward the true and the living God among a bunch of pagan deities. Daniel didn't have to get his life in order or change his habits. Why? He was doing what he had always done. He was a man of integrity. And now I'm not telling you that if crisis hits that you shouldn't get your life in order and begin to pray if you haven't been, but it's so much more wonderful and sweeter in your life when that crisis hits and you are able to keep on doing what you've been doing because you didn't wait for the crisis, but you were a man or a woman of the Word of God and a man or a woman of prayer day in and day out, and you were more prepared when that crisis hit. It wasn't so catastrophic after all because you knew that there was a sovereign God. Integrity, doing the right thing no matter what. Daniel was saying, this is who I am. This is what I do. No secret says. I'm just going to put it all out there. You can check me. Listen, the way they checked his background, if it had been 21st century, they would have said, okay, let's find his uh, Twitter account. Let's find his Facebook account. Let's call him through his Instagram. Let's see what he's ever said. We're going to find something against him. Let's look at his internet history, something to humiliate Daniel. And they couldn't find anything as they checked him out. And I know they didn't have the internet back then, but they vetted him as, as good as they possibly could and said, all right. We're not going to find anything wrong unless it has to do with the fact that he obeyed God rather than man. His God, his God's laws, his God's words. Are, are you willing to do the right thing regardless of the consequences? In your work environment, listen, in, in your, uh, told the earlier service, young people, in your school, whatever, are you going to do the right thing? Hey, I'm not going to cheat the system. Uh, I'm not going to cheat people. I'm going to do the right thing. When, when the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God and my prayer life, point out something that I need to do, even if it would cost me my life, if it would cost me my job, if it would cost me a relationship that I value and treasure, I'm going to do what God would have me to do in this situation. Now, that's integrity. Many of you um, remember, some of you aren't old enough, 
My senior year of high school, I like to say we won the state championship in basketball. Now, some of my friends who were on that team were like, what are you talking about we? You couldn't have made the team if you would have wanted to. I did win a one-on-one tournament at FFA camp one time, but I was the only one playing without cowboy boots on, I think. Um, I couldn't have made our high school team if I'd have wanted to back in those days. But they won. We won. I was there at Georgia Tech when we won it. Man, it was awesome. We beat a team uh, called Maris. Triple A, state championship, celebrating. Do you know the previous year, Marist also lost the state championship? Just curious. Does anybody know who beat Marist for the state championship in 1987? Somebody's Googling maybe. <laughs> Most people don't know, but here, here's the interesting thing. It was Rockdale County beat Marist. Rockdale County Bulldogs beat Marist for the state championship in 1987. But there's no trophy at Rockdale County for that state championship in 87 like there is one for Madison County in 88. Why? Because a couple of months later, as the coach was determining eligibility for the upcoming football season, he noticed something. And that was during their basketball season, as they had come to an end, and he had uh, one player got mono, some other players were academically ineligible, and they weren't able to play. And he told the JV coach, hey, you know, three or four of you guys, I think there are actually about five of them, who got called up to dress out with varsity. And uh, those early games in the tournament, they were so blowing out teams that those JV guys got to play. And he noticed as he was looking for football eligibility that in the state tournament, in one of those early round games, he had played a basketball player, a JV basketball player, to reward him for his faithfulness, right? He had given him 45 seconds at the end of the game when the game was already a blowout win. And he said, I played an ineligible player. And he had to meet with his team and say, I've got to turn this into GHSA. We had a violation. And it cost them the state championship trophy. They had to forfeit it. That's integrity. And though it broke the heart of those players, he had to pull them together. And as they were interviewed by even groups like CNN and Life Magazine, they said, Coach told us that one day people will forget the scores of our basketball game, but they would never forget what kind of people we were. They would never forget what kind of men we were. And so the integrity of that moment had great influence on a culture a sports culture that probably was starved for integrity. Influence is the next point of this message this morning because integrity leads to influence. Daniel was a man of integrity, but number two, Daniel was a man of influence. And like Daniel, if we want to be people of influence, we need to get the integrity in place first. How did he influence his world as a man of integrity? First of all, he did so through his service or his servant heart. Look at, look at this word servant come up again and again. Starting with verse 14, as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel. Man, I can't believe I forgot about Daniel when I did this. And made every effort until sundown to deliver him. 
Then these men went together to the king and said to him, You know, your majesty, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. And the king understood that. His hands were tied, right? Somebody else pulling the strings. So the king gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. He was a, a man of integrity and a man of influence who kept serving God. He didn't have to say, oh, God, if you get me out of this lion's den, I promise, I promise, I'm going to go down to the church, I'm going to get things right with you, and I'm going to serve you, Lord, whatever it is you have for me. He didn't make a panic promise in the moment of his persecution, but he just kept on doing what he was doing. May the God whom you continually serve rescue you. A stone was then brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. I believe that was Daniel's influence on his life. No diversions or distractions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. The first light of dawn, the king got up, and he hurried to the lion's den, and when he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God. The king said, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Here's a rule of biblical hermeneutics, biblical interpretation, is when you see repeated terms or phrases, then the author, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to tell you something. Continually serve, continually serve. The God you keep on serving. Daniel was serving Darius, right? He was serving in Darius' court. But King Darius knew something, that though Daniel was his servant in the king's court, ultimately, Daniel wasn't trying to serve Darius. He was serving his God. And in your workplace, you're called to serve God just as much as I'm called to serve God as the pastor of this church. And Darius had been influenced by that service. Colossians 3, 23, 24, in a difficult world. Paul says concerning our work, whatever you do, work at it heartily or with all your heart as unto the Lord and not to man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward. You will have an influence in your world when you do what you do in your workplace, in your home, in your marriage, you might say, you don't know who I have to live with. You don't know the trouble my kids are causing me or my parents are causing me. Do it as unto the Lord and not to man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward and you'll be a person of influence regardless of who your boss is, who your employer is, who your teacher is, who your parents are. You will have an influence when you say, listen, they might not, may not even know the Lord, but I'm serving God. And the way that I serve them, I'm going to serve them as if I'm serving God the Lord. Secondly, he not only had influence because of his service, but also through his suffering. Not only the way he served, but the way he suffered. John Maxwell has said, your attitude determines your altitude. Your attitude determines your altitude. What, what, what is your attitude like when you get mistreated in this world? Whether it's the, the governments around us, whether it's friends and family, the church that should know better, what is your attitude when you're not treated as well as you would like to be treated? 
Verse 21, Darius had forgotten about Daniel, but he shows up and says, uh, Daniel says, he spoke with the king, verse 21, may the king live forever. That's not what I would have wanted to say. <laughs> you allowed me to be thrown to the lions? When, when, when all these people came to you, you, you weren't thinking about me and my God? Come on. Remember the phrase from the 90s, talk to the hand? <laughs> I would have said, sorry, Darius. We'll talk later. I'm not in the mood right now. Anybody ever treated your spouse like that? You forgot about me? Let's not talk for a while. Let me give you the cold shoulder for a while. That person you work with, that boss, that coworker, you feel like you weren't treated right down at the church? Let's see if I talk to you. Daniel could have said that. And in my flesh, I often feel that sometimes. And God will not let me sleep at night. It's something about my personality or something. I'm not trying to spiritualize it. I'm just saying God will not let me sleep at night if there's a brother or sister in Christ. Listen, if they've told me they've hated me and left our church and moved to the other side of the country, I still don't sleep at night unless I can have an opportunity to see them face to face and say, how you doing? Love you. And his suffering, he kept a good attitude Coming out of the lion's den, he had a good attitude. Wait until I get my hands on you. That's what I would have said, but no, no, no. No bitterness, no frustration, just <laughs> why, why is that? And here's where we struggle. Because his trust was in God, not man. His trust wasn't in Darius. Listen, church, if your hope is in Washington, D.C., you're going to be of all men most miserable. You, you just are. If it's in human potential, one of the greatest things my wife ever told me, we'll talk about this on Saturday morning, one of the best things she's ever told me is, um, God told me that you're not my source. What does that mean, you know? I got a male ego. We get a little bit of a Messiah complex. I want to be the one there for you, baby, you know? And, and she said, because at some point you'll let me down, but God will never let me down. You're not my source. I said, boy, that hurt the marriage. No, that helped the marriage. Set me free, Right? Because God is her source. So what does that make me want to do? It makes me want to love God more and point her to God more. Even in his suffering, when things didn't go right, what does Peter say? In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, listen, if you're going to suffer, at least suffer for doing the right thing. And then he says, in the midst of it, when we would want to complain about our suffering and the people who would allow suffering to take place and hurtful things to take place in our life, he says, Christ also suffered the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And so remember, when somebody has hurt you, when somebody has caused suffering in your life, Jesus died for them. And by the way, when you have hurt others, Jesus died for you. Christ died once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. So you will never be able to hurt me by the way, nobody in the church has done anything to hurt me lately if you think I'm picking on somebody. I don't do that. I don't, I don't pick, you know, the latest issue the preacher's mad at with his wife or the church to harp on it on Sunday morning. I don't do that. Just go on verse by verse. Maybe this is some preventive medicine, though. You could never hurt me to the extent that my sin hurt Jesus when all hell was poured out on him on the cross. So how could I not forgive you when he forgave me? 
And so keep that in mind when you're going through suffering in life. Through his survival, the third way that he influenced. Third way that he influenced, verses 22 and 23. My God sent his angel. Where was his hope? It wasn't in Darius. It wasn't in the government. Hello. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they haven't hardened me, for I was found innocent before him. And also before you, your majesty, I have not done harm. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed. Why? For he trusted, not in man, he had trusted in his God. And then that leads into the passage we read a moment ago where his influence caused even Darius to praise God, to worship God through his survival by trusting in God. Who are the lions around us? A lot of times it's the devil himself, isn't it? In 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Sometimes he uses people in your life, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Don't get mad at those people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, rulers of a present, dark, fallen world that we live in. And so we're to put on the whole armor of God to do battle with the spiritual forces of wickedness in high places, not with people of flesh and blood that are entangled in the bondage of the enemy and need to be rescued. That's influence. Influence in service, influence in suffering, influence in survival. I want to show you a picture. When I use the word influence, this picture always comes to mind. This past Thursday night, we had a big, this place was wall-to-wall, FCA banquet, right? And the kind of the focus of the banquet was we were supporting. For those of you who don't know, our youth pastor, Pastor Zach, is part-time with Trinity, but part-time with FCA. And uh, this was kind of uh, letting everybody know about his ministry and gar- uh, garnering some support there. If you want to support him through FCA or the church, let us know. We'll make sure he gets it. But, um, but it was raising su- support for FCA. And uh, all this was going on. I was thinking about the power of influence. I was sitting at a table with a, a fellow that I figured his son's probably one of the most influential guys in his realm. But um, I was sitting at a table with the father of Dwight Howard, the, probably the, the, one of the best basketball players that ever came out in North Georgia, still playing in NBA as far as I know, because um, his dad was about to go watch him play on TV uh, that night. And I thought, man, what an influential person he must be. And then I thought about as, as, as Coach Mike walked up on this stage, I was thinking, Coach Mike influenced me. He, he, was, he was not only my JV football coach, but he was the FCA huddle leader. When I got to be an FCA, back then we had FCA officers, but when I was an FCA officer and, and an FCA huddle leader, Coach Mike gave me opportunities to share and many others who were here. He had impacted Pastor Ben. Pastor Jeff used to, you know, he cut some of his worship leader teeth leading worship for FCA meetings. And now having such an impact on Pastor Zach, and I thought, now Coach Mike's a man of great influence. But then I carried that a little bit further, and I thought, well, Remington was up here playing keys, and Pastor Jeff is influencing and coaching up Remington, and Remington's now leading worship at FCA meetings, and Pastor Jeff's done that in a lot of other musicians' lives. He's prepared others and amount. out. Look at Pastor Ben's ministry and my ministry, and we saw young people who are in ministry all over the place, and I thought the influence just continues. In fact, I was talking with a young man right after the service. Some of you know Jacob, but he's a youth pastor and a real close friend to my son who's also a youth pastor, and, and uh, Jacob was telling me, yeah, he goes, 
my youth pastor was in Pastor Ben's youth group. Influence. And I thought, man, go back to Coach Mike and and, and that night, FCA, the influence just goes on and on and on. This picture was called Influence because it was taken at an FCA leadership retreat. I believe that was a coach's son. A picture was taken, then a painting was made, and that painting was put on the cover of the FCA Bibles we used to pass out in the school. I'm glad they still pass out FCA Bibles at school. And uh, this picture was on those old FCA Bibles. Any of you have one of those Bibles at one time that had that picture on it? Raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Y'all remember those? And uh, as me and Gerald probably used to carry ours around all the time. Influence. Because this, this kid is looking at this huddle group and he's saying, I want to be like them. I see something in them that I want to be like. See, you're going to influence somebody whether you know it or not. It's going to be either for the glory of God and the kingdom of God. It's going to be for yourself. Or it's going to push them away from God. But you're going to influence somebody because somebody's watching in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community, somebody's watching. In your workplace, in your school, somebody's watching. Influence. Folks, I want to influence as many people as I can to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. That's the mission of this church. It's the mission of my life. I want to influence people for the glory of God. What about you? Would you bow your heads with me this morning?